this past year has been filled with uncertainty and change. As more and more people are vaccinated against COVID-19, many of us are pondering if we really want to return to work as usual. What workarounds for work from home are worth keeping? Anthony Vaughn is co-founder and CEO of the Harvard-based E1B2 Collective, a group of companies centered around improving the employee experience. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm just great. How are you? Doing very well. Just moving and grooving here. It's, uh, it's been a long day, but uh, I still got a little uh, energy left in me. How should companies navigate decisions about returning to the office? What, what factors do they need to weigh? In my personal opinion, there's many factors, but I think the first thing they need to do is they need to go directly to their employees. I think uh, if you look at the name of my company, Employees First, Business Second, E1B2, um, I genuinely believe at a very operational level and empathetic level that you need to go directly to your employees and ask them about the the overall setup of the of the tangible uh, workspace, uh, the overall operational flows of the organization, whether that's uh, remote working, whether that's hybrid. I think um, figuring out communications and, and, and how the employees will like that to occur, workflows. I think everything that the organization does should be directly from the point of view of the employee first, and then obviously, you know, operators and, and managers and, and founders and CEOs can can make the more competent, thoughtful decisions. But the the point of view should start from the from the employees. And when you ask those questions, employees may be like, I don't know, let's try this, let's try that. I mean, how can a company reach for a more permanent? plan for what it's going to do? Well, that's where I think I may disagree with some folks. I, I don't think there is a permanent. And so I think when, when the employees may give you a response that is a little bit up in the air, I think that's what we learned in 2020, right? I mean, life as we know it is probably going to continue to be a little bit up in the air, going to be a little bit more of an experiment. And frankly, I think that's the way business should have been ran overall. I think we before you know COVID-19, we had a lot of permanent best practices and policies in place that really allowed us to not be mobile and fluid when this occurrence, when the situation happened. And so uh, my response would be, just as your employees may not know a permanent action, I think as a, as a staff, we should stay, you know, as, a, as an executive team, we should say to our employees, based off your data, based off your perspective, here's our you know, return to work plan 1.0 and there will be a 2.0 and a 3.0 and a 4.0. And so stay, uh, stay patient and, 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 and remain, remain eager and willing to uh, adjust to the change. And what needs to be components of those plans? What does it need to cover? I think it needs to cover um, workflow design. And so uh, tangibly what that means, I, I genuinely believe that we have now learned that our workforce can work uh, through tasks, through projects, through initiatives in a, in a variance of different ways from like a time perspective. So I do not believe that some, something needs to get done at a certain time of a 2 p.m. deadline or a 3 p.m. deadline contingent on a nine to five work workplace uh, moment. I believe that folks can get things done at 9 p.m. I think folks can get things done at 6 a.m. I think if you're doing a remote working situation, I think you need to be very fluid around um, the humanistic variables of your workforce's realities. I think, um, of course, the office needs to be a very thoughtful thing, um, figuring out what partnerships you want to have to have folks come in, outside vendors come into the organization to clean, to keep things uh, up to date from from the new policies that are 
now been uh, passed down. I want to say C. I don't know what the exact name of it is, but there's a there's a corporation that's making sure organizations are being thoughtful about that. And then I think the last thing that I'll say is we again, we need to consistently go to our employees on a six to eight week schedule and just get perspectives and updates and points of views from them around how we are supporting them emotionally, how are we supporting them physically and how are we supporting them mentally and tangibly when it comes to the workflows, when it comes to, you know, supporting their family dynamics. Let me pick up on that in particular. Everyone's pandemic, of course, has been different. How can managers be sensitive to employees' mental health needs? Um, I, I think, again, I think it's just a matter of having the conversations and realizing that we're all humans. And so, you know, setting up consistent one-on-ones, um, allowing those things not to be random conversations and random moments, but having consistent one-on-ones, whether it's once a week, once every other week, every other day, it depends on the cadence of how your employees want to engage with their direct managers. So having those one-on-ones and then within those one-on-ones, I think really getting to the center of figuring out and realizing that every single employee has a different set of circumstances inside of their minds from a mental health perspective. You know, you may have certain employees that have now, you know, welcomed in their parents to the household and that may throw some complexities in the mix. You may have a, a family member that you may have an employee that has a family member that potentially has passed away recently from these circumstances. And you may have certain staff that are just not dealing very well, even with the hybrid model. And they're really struggling with the, the social dynamics and the lack thereof. So when, you having, when you're having these one-on-ones, being very thoughtful to realize and be cognizant that every single employee has a set of different complexities. And so keeping a database and keeping a track of everyone's different complexities when approaching that one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, is vital. One of the big advantages of working at home is flexibility in when work gets done, but that can also lead to the expectation that employees are always available. What types of boundaries do you recommend and how should people go about setting them? I hate to be a, a broken record here. As I was preparing for this conversation, I was talking to uh, uh, the young lady that was, that was helping me get prepared. Everything I'm going to say is always going to be through the employee's uh, lens lens, and, and, and kind of going employees first. And so I think with this particular situation, you should go directly to your people and, again, figure out what's going to work best for them. Figure out what's contextually going to matter to them to, to them most and, and what, what type of cadence, what type of interactions, what type of responses, what type of support they individually need. They will give you the data that you need, and then it's on you as an organization to listen and be, and be, uh, be up to date with those, uh, those responses and that new data. You use the word data as opposed to impressions. Tell me a bit more about what kind of data those check-ins with employees are going to generate. Yeah, just just the information. I probably was using more of a fancy word than I needed to. Just the information, right? Just the just the nuances, just the details, just the just the context, right? You know, again, if you have a if, if you have an employee that's giving you a new update that you know their their um you know their their son or their daughter or or uh, is, is having some some complications within the household dealing with their own hybrid schooling model or dealing with their own issues from the social dynamics and they're going to need to switch around the workflow. That's what I mean by data, just the, just the nuances and the contextual realities of your people. This is On the Record on WYPR. I'm Sheila Kest, speaking with Anthony Vaughn, CEO of E1B2 Collective, which helped 
helps businesses and startups improve the employee experience. Earlier in this program, we talked about the tremendous job losses during the pandemic. What advice would you give to job seekers who now have a year-long gap in their work history? I think so. This is a big one. I have a I have a brand uh, that I call Beyond Resume, and a lot of that work is around number one. My advice would be shift and realize and understand the employer versus employee dynamic and take a little bit of that power and control back into your own hands as a job seeker and as an employee. I think going back to work after potentially not working for an entire year, I, I want you to be very thoughtful around how you may want the organization to show up from a DEI perspective off the backs of all the things that have happened politically over the last year. Um, I want you to be very thoughtful about what you may need from a workflow, what you may need from a COVID-19 policy. Figure out what's going to work best for you around those variables. Now, as it comes down to the actual job title and, and the executions that you're going to be doing as a professional, again, be very thoughtful around how you want to make up for lost time. And so I was talking to a, a gentleman the other day and I was explaining to him that even though you're getting back to work after a year absent does not mean you need to just take any opportunity. It still means you need to realize and, and respect the fact that you have skills to eventually and potentially be a VP. So you maybe don't need to take a, a director level role. Be thoughtful, be cognizant, and believe in yourself and still take the opportunities that you believe you deserve, not just what you can get based off of the realities of the world today. Many companies are undertaking an examination of their diversity, equity, and inclusion practices um, these days. What advice do you have for going about this process? You know what? This is a tricky one. This is where I, I am going to say go directly to your employees and get their point of view, but be very careful with that. As you know, there's so many different points of views when it comes to this particular conversation as it pertains to the race and as it pertains to the political side of things. So you have to be very patient because you will get a lot of different and complex data. And so it will be tough to try to figure out exactly what to do based off of that data. But what you can do is the following. You can make it very clear within your managers, within your executives, and within your, your macro staff to make it very clear that we have a policy here that we will respect each other that we will be very cognizant of our language, that we will respect each other's points of views and anything that uh, that breaks that overall policy or that rule, uh, there will be significant amounts of, of conversations and, and potentially punishment, a.k.a. dismissals of roles and, and, and out of the organization. I believe organizations need to put their foot heavily down when it comes to making anyone feel like their diverse perspectives or backgrounds or or or, or values are, are not cared for and not valued across the board. Thank you. Thanks very much for this conversation. Thank you.